Yo, this episode of Cheat Codes, a sickle cell podcast, was made possible by Global Blood Therapeutics and is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Visit GBT.com to learn more. What's up, Warriors? It's Dr. Z and Dr. C. How are you doing, Dr. C? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Dr. Z? Man, I just finished a busy clinic, but you know what? This podcast is going to breathe some life into me. Me too. I'm excited. You know, Sickle Cell Awareness Month, we got a lot of good stuff in this podcast wrapped up. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We had a great guest today. I think we have some good topics, a good article. It's a good episode. Yeah, absolutely. So Warriors, hang in there. I think you're going to learn a lot through this episode. We got Shamanica Wiggins on, who's an advocate extraordinaire. We're going to cover a really cool paper that Dr. Callahan's pulled out. And uh, we're going to go over a word of the day that uh, some of you are probably already familiar with. You ready to get to it? Yeah, let's hit it. All right, here we go. So warriors in this in this segment uh, of called what's happening now we often talk about things that I've come around and seen on social media myths that I've heard from patients we talk about sort of interesting things that I feel like we want to share with you and discuss with you so so today I I actually invited sort of a co-moderator for this little segment uh, Miss Monica Wiggins who's going to be our guest actually on this episode is here. Because a lot of what's happening now is being controlled by uh, the Sickle Cell Consortium's uh, social media, what is the right term, Shamanica? Social media intern? Social media director? Yeah, so the correct title is media marketing intern. The media marketing director calls me the social media queen. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, so, so Miss Social Media Queen, your majesty. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening with the consortium? Yes, I would I would be grateful to. Um, so currently, like I said, I'm the media marketing intern for the consortium. And the consortium is responsible for a lot that goes on in the sickle cell community. And most recently, um, we hosted the first digital sickle cell conference, which was really well, went well. Dr. Z was a presenter. You guys did a phenomenal job with that. I've got to say, I mean, the, the app that, that the, 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 the sort of, uh, the technology you guys use was wonderful. Yeah. The discussions were great. Um, so, so hats off to you, man. You guys crushed that. Thank you. I'm really proud of us because we, we pulled that off in six weeks, six weeks of planning. Amazing. And it was kind of like the first big thing that I had played an important role in. Um, Because when I joined, when I became part of the team a year ago, I was still like, they were still trying to fit me in and, and stuff was already, people were already on teams and everything. So I was really excited. And um, so now currently we are working on the, we are the cure campaign um, in partnership with be the match. And the campaign is we're doing it in an effort to get more people to join the bone marrow donor registry Um, because as you know and uh, most of us with sickle cell know that most people in america with sickle cell are black or african descent and the second largest i believe is hispanic but those two races or populations have very small percentage on the donor list and if we can get more donors with more ethnic backgrounds onto the list more people can you know possibly have a life-changing bone marrow transplant. So right now, that's what we're doing with the We Are The Cure campaign. And anyone without sickle cell, even people with sickle cell traits, can be a, a bone marrow donor. And if anyone would like more information, they can text SC3 to 61. Four seven four. That's the number six one four seven four. And there's also a website. Um, it's join dot backslash sc three. And the goal is to just get more people on that registry list, so more people with sickle cell can have the option of getting a bone marrow transplant. Amazing. And what are you guys calling this movement? The We Are the Cure campaign. I love that so much. I love that so. There it is. We are the cure. SC3 to 61474. 
I absolutely love that. I mean, that is such an important thing. I, you know, I tell patients all the time, the, the answers we're looking for in sickle cell disease are literally running through your blood. They're inside of you. This is a scenario in which the answer we're looking for is more matched donors. And that happens to be in the blood of the community around you that supports you and loves you. And this is just another way of showing support and love for sickle cell patients. Yeah, that's, that's, you hit it right on the head. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm so proud of this effort that you guys are putting forward. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to sort of see what else you have up your sleeve. Mm-hmm. What else is coming? I'm excited to hear about what's being planned for Sickle Cell Awareness Month coming up. And uh, maybe you can give us a little bit of a, a preview about what you guys have planned. Um, actually, for Sickle Cell Awareness Month, we haven't 100% decided on what we were going to do. I know that there are partner organizations who are planning things that we plan on supporting, such as Cayenne Wellness. They're having a digital conference and this consortium will be supporting that one. But as of right now, the consortium, because we were so busy with the digital summit and then our fifth birthday just passed on August 19th. So we did a two day event for that. Our executive director, Dr. Lakia Bailey was saying that maybe we should take a break and just support things around us because it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work behind the scenes. I think that's one thing a lot of people don't realize about advocates. They don't realize that it's a lot of work behind the scenes and it's hard work. And we put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it for people like us. So the consortium, I we haven't come up with a concrete plan for Sickle Cell Awareness Month. I'm sure whatever you guys do, as always, is, is going to be wonderful. And, 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 and we love you guys for the work you put in, the hustle you put in to make the community's lives better. I, uh, I always refer back to this, man. I had a comedian uh, named Nori Davis on, on our show several episodes ago, and he said sickle cell disease is a back-of-the-bus disease. You guys are doing everything you can to make sure that's not going to be the case as we go forward. Yeah. So when I first met Dr. Bailey, it was like right when the the Wimbo Lips first started. She actually reached out to to me and Joelle because she saw something in us and believed in us. And her motto was like, we're no longer asking for a seat at the table we're making our seat at the table like just hearing that was like one of the motivations i need to keep going after this stuff and and it's we've made a really big impact patient advocates um because i feel that without the work that me and so many other patient advocates have done we possibly wouldn't have the new therapies that are available now that were approved last year Um, I've worked with just about every company that's working on something for sickle cell, and they told us that before advocates came into the picture, that they were getting nowhere. They had these great ideas, but it would get nowhere because they couldn't reach the population. I learned, I went to college for newspaper editorial journalism. For real? Yes. And there I was told that journalists are the gatekeepers of information. We control what goes out and what's shared. And I realized that that's what patient advocates are. We are the gatekeepers of the sickle cell community. And we represent what we want our community to be represented as and what we want to share. I tell people all the time that my degree, well, I didn't get my degree because I've had my daughter, but everything I learned has definitely helped me as an advocate because we're, we're gatekeepers as well. Amazing. Uh, honestly, Shamanika, you inspire me. You continue to inspire me. And the recording of this has continued to, I mean, you just are so inspirational. I applaud everything you do, every effort you make. Um, you're doing great things. We really look forward to seeing what you do for this community because I, I really think you, you're going you're gonna to be a really important player. You're going to continue to be on the scene and, and make moves and hold people accountable and keep that seat at the table. That's my goal. I said I can't stop doing this until 
we have the correct options, like the proper options for us. And aside from me, I have three younger cousins with sickle cell. They're all still pediatric age, but the oldest one is getting closer and closer to adulthood. So I feel like I owe it to my little cousins and the little kids that I know personally with sickle cell. I just wanted to be better for them. I also use like my non-sickle cell platforms to talk about sickle cell. I want people to know that I'm more than sickle cell, but I'm also a person with sickle cell. You get what I'm saying? I love that. I have my podcast and so September will be dedicated to sickle cell on my podcast because I just feel with me not being in the nonprofit space, it feels weird when I'm not doing something specifically for Sickle Cell Awareness Month. So that was how I was like, this is how I can do something personally for the month. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I mean, I, I, I see your opinion, not fact podcast uh, pop up all the time and, and, and you cover some really diverse topics. You're right. And not, not necessarily sickle cell. So I, uh, I think that's wonderful. I think you're right. You are more than sickle cell. You're, you're a human being that has taken control of sickle cell disease in her own life and, and is, is contributing in, in different ways that, that sort of are, are innovative and fresh and, and cool. And again, I, we appreciate you for it. Well, thank you. I appreciate everything you do. You always say how I pop up on stuff, but I get a lot of dings from Dr. Z as well. And I'm grateful that you aren't afraid to speak up for us in such a bold and honest way. I was like, man, I love this doctor because (laughs) it seemed like oftentimes some doctors are afraid to correct other doctors, like some kind of code or something. So I love seeing that you don't mind you know, speaking up for the patient, because I learned a long time ago, people listen to people who are like them. It's true. I have tried before, you know, I've had issues with doctors before trying to educate them about my illness. But when a doctor tells them these things, it makes it a little easier for them to digest. So like, I'm really grateful for you and how you speak up for patients like me and how how much you do for the warriors in Detroit. They love you as well. So I appreciate those kind words. I, uh, I always feel like I'm not doing enough. When I tell you, man, it, this is, um, I like live, eat and breathe sickle cell and um, really trying to get rid of prejudice and bias in, in the healthcare system is what's motivated. That, I mean, it's hard, but that's what motivates me. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Makes me want to come to work. So, no, I mean, we got to keep fighting together. We're only going to be stronger together. And, um, you know, it's going to take it's going to take a whole village to, yeah. to fix this. So we got to keep keep at it and, and, and just keep working together. Man, Shamanika, now you got me all hype. I'm going to have to go <laughs> and I'm going to go get in a fight with somebody, I think. About <laughs> I'll retweet it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Warriors, we're here with my favorite segment where I get to make Dr. Callahan do a little bit of work. You know, this one is not so much of a riddle, Dr. Mike. It's, it's really just something that we, um, especially right now, have all been sort of hyper aware of in the current social climate. Something that has shown itself, its ugly face time and time again. But in particular, it's shown its face for a lot of people during COVID, we've seen a lot of variation in how patients do when they have COVID, for example. But sickle cell doctors have been seeing this type of variation for a really long time. And a lot of that variation comes around different factors. This sure sounds like a riddle to me, doctors. <laughs> so I'm just going to break this riddle for you, man. The word of the day is disparity. Okay. I, I like it. Disparity. I mean, actually, I hate disparity, but... Disparity means um, a difference or a big difference. There's uh, can be, you know, if a tall person is standing next to a short person and you say there's a height disparity. A lot of times when we talk about disparity, especially in the setting of sickle cell, um, we're talking about health disparities. 
And health disparities refer to a higher burden of illness or injury or disability or death that's experienced by one group compared to another. And often we talk about minority health disparities. So people of color may have very different outcomes from disease or may have more of a disease or problems with healthcare access, different treatments for disease. And we'd say those are all disparities. There's a big difference in the outcomes and sure. the care and the prevalence. Um, and it's, it's a really important topic, especially for our warriors. And I think we'll get a bit into it a little bit more around our article today. Yeah. There are a lot of factors that can go into that disparity. So those can include genetic differences. And we've talked before that the genetic differences between people with dark skin and light skin is really just a small number of genes. Six. Um, but there, but there can be genetic differences in environmental differences, cultural differences, but also a, a huge driver of these things is social determinants of health. And these get into things like federal funding, access to care, all of these things where we really have a lot of these health disparities that affect our minority communities adversely, and especially our warriors. And so fortunately, there's now a, a National Institute of Health. So we always say the NIH as if it's one thing, but it's really made up of several different institutes that study different things. So there's a National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute that studies hearts, lungs, and blood. Yeah, right, right, right. National Institute of Diabetes and, and Kidney Disease. There's a National Institute of Minority Health and Health Disparities that's studying these health disparities and, and really trying to come up with solutions for them. But it's it's a challenging field. So there you go. Disparities. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's really well put, Dr. Mike. I don't know, man. I wish we could get rid of them. But the truth is that... I think we're always going to have to work on it. The truth is that, yeah, we're always going to have to work on it. And I think that the more important thing is that we just have to stay aware of it. Right? For sure. We have to recognize sure. that these exist and that it's not a level playing field and that sometimes we need to put in some work to, to level it out. For sure. I mean, I, I think for whatever reason, people aren't doing well, they're not meeting the goals that that we hope for their health. We need to tackle those barriers and, and improve people's health. And when you see a big discrepancy between one population and another, there is an opportunity. You can find what's making that difference and, and attack it. Sometimes that can help other things too. So we Absolutely. have a whole lot of uh, social determinants of health that have impact on other things like jobs and housing and transportation and yeah. Um, so if we can address those things, hopefully we can make a difference all around. I hope so, man. I hope so. There's nowhere to go but up at this point. There we go. Let's fight disparities. All right. Hope you enjoyed that segment, Warriors. Cheat Codes is brought to you today by Global Blood Therapeutics. GBT is a biopharmaceutical company committed to discovering, developing, and delivering life-changing treatments that provide hope to underserved patient communities, including sickle cell disease. GBT is grounded by a mission-driven culture and built with a team of experienced and passionate people committed to making a difference in the communities it serves. Cheat Codes is grateful to GBT for supporting today's episode and for serving the sickle cell community. We've got Miss Shamanica Wiggins on to tell us a little bit about who Shamanica Wiggins is. If you don't already know, um, you're behind uh, because Miss <laughs> Shamanica Wiggins is a big deal in the sickle cell community. So, Miss Shamanica, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really happy and excited to be on the show and be on with you guys today. No, the pleasure is ours. I mean, you do so much good work for sickle cell disease, and you're a sickle cell warrior. Oh, you know, I think I think both me and Dr. Callahan. Want to hear a little bit about you? Who is Shamanica Wiggins? I would tell people that Shamanica Wiggins, me, I am, I'm a woman with sickle cell who, who realizes that um, I was given a gift to be a voice for people with sickle cell. And I feel that be doing advocacy and especially on the level that I do it is truly my calling in life. Growing up with sickle cell, I was never the kid that hit it. You all know treating people with sickle cell that oftentimes a lot of us hide the fact that we have sickle cell or we don't share it out of fear we won't be treated the same. But I was never that kid. I could always remember speaking up about sickle cell, 
doing projects about sickle cell and never being afraid to tell people that I have sickle cell. I was pretty much groomed for this, this role my whole life. I've always seen sickle cell in a positive way, thanks to my mom and my family, you know, encouraging me and letting me know that I can do whatever I wanted to do. So I never, I've never been the person who's seen it as a curse or like, why me? Of course, we have moments when the pain is really bad that you feel, why me? But on a day-to-day basis, I don't see it really as a bad thing. I feel that sickle cell really has helped me be a good person, a better person, because when you fight a fight every day, you learn how to appreciate all the little things and you learn the importance of empathy. So that in turn has made me a very empathetic person. Yeah, that's that's me pretty much. I'm a woman who isn't afraid to speak on things that I know needs to be spoken about. And, and I'm also a mother. So aside from being a sickle cell advocate, the most important job I will ever have is raising my daughter, Rory. So everything I do, I try to do it the best that I can because she's, you know, watching me. That's powerful. That's really powerful. Yeah, that's fantastic to take a challenge and, and make a positive out of it. I uh, see that all over your bio and, and so, uh, so many things you've got going on in addition to raising a daughter. Tell us about one SCD voice and, um, and all, all of the, the advocacy projects you have going Okay, well, yeah, I am pretty busy. I'm a proud of every role that I have in the sickle cell community. Um, One SCD Voice is actually, it's an online platform, online website um, for sickle cell education, for sickle cell clinical trial education. There's um, a directory of doctors and organizations and stuff state by state. And then there's also a social wall where people can communicate and engage with others with sickle cell. I'm on the the working group team. So basically it's like we're split into different teams. The curation team, they find stuff that maybe could be good for their website. And I'm on the team that has to review all of the stuff and approve or deny it. So I take that pretty seriously because we don't ever, I don't, I don't ever want to be a part of anything that is sharing misinformation or, or stuff that's not useful to the community. So I really like that job, um, that role. And when I present at conventions and stuff, I always make sure to add a slide about one SCP voice on there because it is a good tool and you can learn a lot, especially the education that's on there. That's such a important piece right so i think one thing that you guys like the advocates specifically the warriors who are also advocates do so well is make sure that you are keeping the discussions that you see online in check yes you you really do a good job of making sure things don't get too crazy because there's some stuff out there that that's harmful actually yeah right i mean there may be stuff that's benign and like okay if you take if you have sea moss or more cinnamon, it's probably not going to hurt you, right? But if there, there's stuff out there that, that might hurt you, like taking iron, for example, right? You know, so, so I, I see you guys interacting with other warriors and, and it, it warms my heart because you're, you're helping us as physicians so much. Yeah, I know that's something that a lot of us top advocates or, you know, known advocates do on a regular basis. I know I've had several conversations with warriors who are getting like a lot of transfusions in one hospital stay that that kind of makes me nervous sometimes. And I always ask them, hey, are you aware of your iron numbers? How is your liver and kidney functions? Like, is everything okay? Because I feel that there are some doctors in certain parts of this country that aren't educated enough on sickle cell and they still believe that blood transfusion is the cure-all. And um, I've had friends to get seriously ill from too many blood transfusions. I feel like once you take on the role as advocate, it's kind of your place to like comment on something that could be harmful. 
That's amazing. Uh, you know, t- tell, tell us a little bit, Shamanica, if, if you don't mind, about your journey with sickle cell disease. T- tell us a little bit about how that impacted you and what, what specific instances or memories of your battle with sickle cell disease are the ones that you think about that drove you towards wanting to be an advocate and be a voice and want to help the community. My whole life, I've known sickle cell. You know, I meet some people who said they didn't have their first crisis till they were 13. Or I went, met one woman, her first crisis wasn't until she was like 25. And so she always grew up thinking that sickle cell wasn't serious. And I'm like, well, that's never been my story. I had my first crisis at a very young age. My mom tells me that as a, even as a baby, she had to take me to the hospital. Um, I used to have the deal with dactylitis a lot, you know, the hand foot syndrome. That that was like one of my main issues as a kid. And when I was three years old, I had a stroke. So I'm grateful that I don't remember having a stroke, but my mom had to be the one to, she noticed it. I was in the hospital preparing for discharge and my mom said, I just didn't look right. It was something wrong with me. And um, my mom, you know, she's always growing up, was always my voice. The hospital that I grew up going to, Children's Medical Center here in Dallas, the sickle cell program, they didn't like for the parents to speak for the kids. So at a young age, I was taught how to be the one controlling my appointment. Like I needed to know all of the information because that's how that team did us as kids. And we also went to camp. And camp is where I learned so much about sickle cell. And and when I would come home, I would always be excited to tell my friends what I learned new about sickle cell. So like, I really think I've just always been an advocate before I knew what advocate meant or the word advocate. And the biggest thing that happened to me, like as a kid or while in school, I had um, osteomyelitis and bone infarct in my knee. And had to have surgery and be in the hospital, antibiotics. And it was like the worst experience ever because it was my senior year of high school. And I missed entire six weeks of my senior year. And I had to, when I came back to school, it was a rumor that people said I had died. So I was like, dealing with that was really hard because then when I did return to school, I had a pick line in. I like, I was noticed, I was visibly different, you know? So that experience was like maybe the only time where I was a little upset about having sickle cell. It just seemed like a completely unfair experience, but I made it through it and I still graduated from high school and um, I went to off to college. I had one experience in college where my we went to the ER for knee pain. My friends would never let me go alone. I've always been blessed with good friends as well. Um, So my friends would never let me go to the ER alone. But as soon as it was determined that I would be admitted, I was comfortable with them leaving. And uh, once I was on the floor, the nurse was overly transfusing me with fluids. So I asked, why am I getting so many fluids? I was 19 at the time. And now, you know, I barely look my age now. So I definitely look younger then but I was in the adult hospital. So when I asked her, what what are you doing? Why am I getting all this? She told me, oh, you have the flu and I have to follow the doctor's orders. And I was like, no, I don't have the flu. I wasn't tested for the flu. Look at me, I don't even have flu symptoms. That can't be right. And she was an older nurse. So she was like, no, I'm gonna listen to the doctor, not you. And I, I went to sleep and I thought I went to sleep, but actually I coded and I coded several times. Um, the, the fluids triggered like a very severe pneumonia. My lungs began to shut down and I spent the next uh, few weeks in ICU intubated on, it was a medically induced coma and it was very scary. Like making it through that is what made me know that I had to continue to speak mm-hmm. up for sickle cell because I, I think if I wouldn't have the such good friends that I have that were able to help get in touch with my family um, and like relate the seriousness of the condition. I don't know if I would still be alive. Uh, my mom was able to fly out 
And it was like very scary, a very scary experience. And it was an experience that I really didn't have to encounter had the nurse just listened to me, the patient. So um, that's why, you know, I've always been so adamant about telling patients to, if you know something isn't right, speak up, ask for a different doctor, like just don't take what they're giving you because in our community, often that means life or death. And it's just not fair. That, that is so important. I, I mean, I think several things there. One, having your friends with you and two, speaking up for yourself, but it's it's so scary. I mean, even with that, you can have something terrible like that happen. But again, you took a terrible thing and made it into a positive and said, I got to get into um, advocacy and getting patients to speak up. So that's wonderful. So Tell me about Bold Lips for Sickle Cell. Bold Lips for Sickle Cell was an online challenge that um, I created. Uh, a sickle cell warrior by the name Shamika McFarland. She made a very emotional video in response to the Ice Bucket Challenge, asking the sickle cell community to make a challenge that we can do without the risk of going into crisis. So I put my thinking cap on and I came up with the idea of Bold Lips for Sickle Cell, which was to put on your boldest lipstick color. Or if you're a guy, get a chick to kiss you on the cheek and post the picture and the hashtag and ask three other people to do it as well. The community liked it and the SCDA reached out to us and asked if they could attach the challenge to the petition to reauthorize the sickle cell treatment act and so like within 30 days we were able to get over a hundred thousand signatures with the challenge and um, that success led to us turning the challenge into a nonprofit organization which i was a part of and the ceo of for just about five years but now joelle darbonnet is the ceo i actually stepped down from that role i'm still very proud of the boldest for sickle cell challenge and the nonprofit and everything that i was able to accomplish in that role it was the vehicle that opened the door into my advocacy career Prior to Boldest for Sickle Cell, like the sickle cell community saw me as an advocate before I did, before I even really realized what I was doing was advocacy. But after the cha that challenge, I feel like everyone, you know, saw me as an advocate and people would reach out and and I'm just grateful for everything that it did lead to. And and in twenty eighteen you won the national advocate of the year award yeah that was really exciting i i wasn't expecting it i didn't ask anyone to nominate me because i personally feel that those kind of awards you shouldn't campaign for them so i was a big shock because none of my friends told me that they nominated me till after the fact so it really was a surprise that is definitely something to be super proud of. I mean, I, I got to tell you, your, your name comes up all the time, okay? I mean, we talk to industry partners often, and I talk to industry partners in the sense of like awareness and marketing and this and that. Your name comes up in my, in just sporadically, your name comes up once a week, okay? <laughs> I got to tell you. <laughs> You, you definitely have made an impression on the sickle cell universe and we're so lucky to have you um, working as hard as you are. I'm, I'm just so impressed with everything. I, I also, you know, I was watching um, some sickle cell videos on YouTube and the Admiral popped up actually on the HHS website. He, he, he mentioned you by name, right? Mm -hmm. In multiple videos. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about that, that relationship and, and what that means to you. So the Admiral is... Dr. Brett Jouar. I've known him since third grade because his wife, Miss Jill, Jill Jouar, is my mentor. Growing up, I went to an after-school program called the I Have a Dream Foundation. And the goal of that program is to help keep at-risk kids in school and graduate high school. So um, my mentor was a big, big volunteer, and she was also, I believe, on the board of directors. And I was chosen as her mentee and her and her family they opened me with uh open arms 
because they were already aware of who I was just due to their involvement with the I Have a Dream Foundation. But once she uh-huh. officially became my mentor, they they really did treat me very similar to how they treated their daughters. And I they were the reason I took my first real flight because uh, while in high school, Dr. Brett worked in DC as well. So I would travel out there for Christmas and spring break. And my mentor is a big reason why I love museums and history. Uh, I was always a nerd and they always fed into the nerdy side of me, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And um, so when Dr. Brett came up for this position a few years ago, I knew about it. They told me about it, but it really did take a really long time for him to get confirmed in the position. <laughs> and it was very stressful waiting because we really couldn't talk about it until it was done. But yeah, they, they've just been in my life since third grade. They have seen me through every milestone that I've been through. So sixth grade graduation, eighth grade graduation high school graduation, prom, off to college, me becoming a mother. They're the reason I was able to get my first apartment. So there we have a really close relationship. Dr. Brett often refers to me as their third daughter. (laughs) I'm just very grateful that our paths were able to cross. I'm grateful that um, I impacted their life enough for him to want to fight so hard for people with sickle cell. I try not to think about it, but he never lets me forget it. He always say, no, you should know that I'm doing all of this because of you. He's like, because of you, I know how horrible this illness is and I want to help people like you. So I'm like, I've always been grateful for them. And I feel like this is really the biggest thing they've ever really done for me so i'm really grateful for it. it it's it's amazing i mean it's every so often you get you hear these stories that make you feel like man maybe all humans aren't bad you know like there's some good there's some good people out there that care the the nice part is that they helped you sort of achieve your potential right like get you yeah. to see what is so important and special about you which is really neat let's talk about motherhood and sickle cell disease um it's hard. <laughs> so the reason I want to talk about this is because I, I'm a pediatric sickle cell doctor, right? So I, I see moms taking care of children with sickle cell disease all the time. But I, I really don't, I don't often, I mean, there, I do have mothers who have sickle cell disease that have children with sickle cell disease that I, that I talk to. But it's, I don't really inter- get to interact with moms with sickle cell disease that don't have children who are affected. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay, can I grab Rory too? Please. There she is. Hello, Miss Rory. Hi. Hi, you are always popping up on my Facebook and Instagram. So I feel like I'm meeting a celebrity. She said, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell, tell us who you are. Um, my name is Rory and this is my mom. And how old are you? I'm nine. Okay. Okay. I, I, I gotta say, I, I gotta say I'm digging the bow and, and your hair looks beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so your mom has sickle cell disease. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. What do you know about sickle cell disease, Rory? Like some of her blood cells are like in like a sickle shape and they stick together, which causes pain. That's a really, really good answer. That's very accurate. And that's that's exactly it. So Shamanika, tell us. Tell us a little bit about having this beautiful... You were talking about the little blessings. This is a big little blessing in your life. Yeah. Tell us about this big little blessing in your life. I'm really happy and grateful to be her mom. I got pregnant with her when I was 21, my junior year of college. (laughs) I didn't know how pregnancy would go, especially with sickle cell, because I had never known anybody else with sickle cell and had a kid, but I knew that I was pregnant, so I was going to have her have the baby and the pregnancy. The pregnancy was great, but sickle cell while pregnant was not great. I was in a lot of pain a lot of the time. I spent a lot of time in the hospital and um, she was born a month early, but the month prior to her delivery, I spent the entire month in the hospital on medical bed rest because doctors, they just 
they felt it was the safest option to just have me there and be able to observe me because uh, I had started having some contractions early. So it was, it was, it sucked just being in the hospital for a month and not really mm -hmm. being sick. I tell everybody that it was worth it for my daughter and I would definitely do it again if it meant I would get to be her mom. I wouldn't change anything. The only thing I would have changed is I would have withdrew from classes instead of trying to do both. Yeah, I think once I had her, I realized, okay, you got to grow up now. You can't, because uh, at 21 in college, you really only think about yourself and having fun. And so all of that had to stop, which I was happy to stop. Uh, I think I instantly went into mom mode. And I grew up with just my mom only. So I grew up with a good example. I feel like my mom did an amazing job raising me and my brother. So I just knew that I was gonna love being a mom and being a hands-on mom. But I also knew that me being a mom was gonna be different than my mom being a mom. So I've always educated Rory about sickle cell. As long as she's been old enough to comprehend what I'm telling her, I've always told her about it. And in turn, that has helped be her mom easier because if I tell her, hey, mommy isn't feeling good, I really need to lay down and I need you to be calm and quiet, she turns into a mouse and you can't hear her at all. And she, she is a very talkative kid. So the fact that she's willing to stop talking when I say I don't feel good uh, just makes me appreciate her even more because most of the time throughout the day, she's talking. <laughs> and it also made it easier for when I go to the hospital. When she was smaller, she would cry when I would go. But as she got older, she learned that the hospital is the place mommy go to feel better. And I shouldn't be too sad when she's there. But we can ask her how this that stuff feel, you know, because I never truly know how it affects her because she's always just so positive and supportive. That's just beautiful. So, I mean, obviously her presence has um, had a tremendous impact on your life. And, and being a parent is, I got to tell you, it's the hardest job in the world. <laughs> yeah. But how has, just emotionally, how has having Rory around helped you with sickle cell disease specifically? I think emotionally having Rory helps out a lot because you have a reason like to not give up. So she's like a constant motivation to not give up. It's also a motivation like to stay strong, but to also stay honest. I know some parents with sickle cell, they want to be super parents and never tell their kids when they're not feeling good. They want to be able to do everything. But I learned that if I'm just honest with her and let her know that I can't do something, she usually mm -hmm. typically understands. And at this point, I think she would prefer for me to skip something than come to something in a lot of pain. But I have before, like one year when she played soccer, it was a freezing cold game and I wasn't feeling good before the game. But where she played soccer was really close to the hospital. So I was like, we're going to watch this game and then y'all going to take me to the hospital. Like looking back, I probably shouldn't have done that. But like as a mom, you really don't want to miss those moments. And I was, it made me rationalize it because of being her mom. But most of the time, I'm pretty honest with her. I feel like parents with sickle cell. We should be honest with our kids and let them know when we're not feeling good instead of trying to be super parents because that that only hinders us in the long run. It's gonna separate us from the kid probably even longer in the hospital if we would just, you know, take care of ourselves. Wow, it's hard because there's definitely days where, you know, you have to push yourself as a parent. I know I, I go home after a day at clinic and, you know, my kids want a bedtime story and I'm dead tired. And I can't even imagine if at the same time as me being tired, I'm anemic and sickling and, you know, have yeah. other stuff happening, right? So uh, I hats off to you. you you're, you're crushing this parenthood thing. You're doing a great job with Rory and we, we all kind of get to see her um, through through your social media, which is, which is kind of nice. Yeah. I also, I'm grateful I have a good support system as well. My mom is still a very big help with raising her. And then me and her dad, 
are like really good friends and we co-parent really well. I'm like, technically I would be considered a single mom because me and her dad aren't together, but I, I have a lot of help, you know? That's awesome. That's so important. Yeah, it's something I'm very grateful for because a lot of people don't. All right. Well, I want to hear a little bit more from Miss Rory. Tell me some ways that you help your mom when she's not feeling well. I bring her stuff so she doesn't have to get up. Okay, that's super helpful. Do you give her extra cuddles and extra hugs? And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay, cool. And what's your fate? What's your favorite thing to do with your mom? Talk. Talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay, okay. What else? What else, Miss Shamanica? Tell us a little bit about Miss Rory. What are your What do you enjoy most about her? Her personality. I've never really met another little kid like her. She's pretty unique, and I love how she's already so much her own person, and she's not afraid to be her own person and be different. I like that she's a nerd. She's she's really smart. Um, sometimes it's scary how smart she is. But sometimes that gets her in trouble. <laughs> but um, I just love her personality. She's a cool little kid. She has a big personality, even though she acts shy right now. I love how creative and artistic she is. And she has her own, her own YouTube and she does all of her own editing. She rarely takes my advice. Wow. So like, I love how, you know, she's very strong-willed and independent and want to learn how to do things on her own. She doesn't want mommy or daddy or any of us to do it for her. Amazing. Now, now you talked a little bit about sickle cell trait. So what kind of conversations do you as a mom with sickle cell disease have with Rory about sickle cell trait? Rory, what do you know about sickle cell trait? It like happens when you're dehydrated. Yeah, you can have some bad things happen when you're dehydrated with sickle cell trait. That's very true. Yeah, so Rory's an athlete, and because she has sickle cell trait, I always make sure that she knows and her coach knows that she needs to stay hydrated because of the risk of trait exhaustion. So uh, she's known that since about first grade, right? And I will, if the coaches aren't letting the kids out for water, I will call her out myself because her face gets really red and really flushed. And and I was like, I don't care. Good for you. Good for you. That's that's amazing. Uh, uh, continuing to be an advocate for, for, for your child, right? I love that. And I, I'd be nervous at the practice because I'd be wondering if the other kids, like, do they moms know if they have trade or not? Because... Right now, she's in basketball training, so it's more of conditioning workouts than yeah. basketball workout. And the kids just always look so like they need water, but the coach, like, oh, you got to get through this before you can have water. And I'm like, I want, I, I, it always worries me because I'm like, oh my goodness. I hope these kids don't have trait. Right. Yeah. No, I think about that all the time. I actually, I had a conversation with some people at the NBA yesterday, actually about sickle cell disease. Uh, that's kind of the point I made to them. I was like, look, you have 400 basketball players and 80% of them are from African-American backgrounds. That means that if you think about one in 13 people having trait, right? that's like 40 of them have sickle cell trait just mm-hmm. by probability, you know, and, and, and you're right. How many people know or, or, or don't know, right? More importantly, it's a very, very, very good point. Well, guys, um, this has been so informative for me. Miss Rory, I want to thank you for being on. And I'm so happy that uh, your mom has a little champion right next to her that keeps her happy and motivated and going. So thank you for that. Thank you. Cute. Catch up with you soon. And I want to thank you once again for being on our show. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. I'm grateful that I could be on. And I'm happy that we had this conversation. So thank you as well. Um, it was a, it was an honor. There you are, Warriors. Miss Shamanica Wiggins uh, will put all of her information and podcast information, social media information. We'll throw in your, Rory's YouTube in the show notes. So <laughs> keep an eye out for that. Take care, guys. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Global Blood Therapeutics. Visit GBT.com to learn more about GBT's commitment to advancing the treatment and care of people affected by sickle cell disease. All right, Warriors, on to the last segment of this episode. 
I think I think you picked out a nice one for us today, Dr. Mike. And I think it fits really nicely with what we were talking about earlier related to disparities, but also related to a lot of what um, Shamanica Wiggins talked to us about. Absolutely. I hope our warriors like this one. All right. What do you got for us, man? So I have an article. And again, you know, we talk about medical research and we talk about an article every week. And I think, again, we have a totally different kind of article today. Um, so it can kind of show you the diversity of different medical research from laboratory studies to clinical trials to review articles. We've talked about case reports. And so today's article is called A Comparison of U.S. Federal and Foundation Funding of Research for Sickle Cell Disease and Cystic Fibrosis and Factors Associated with Research Productivity. So that's kind of a mouthful. Yeah. Um, but I'll get into a lot more detail. And this is from a Dr. Fahim Farouk. And he was working with J.J. Strauss. Who's, nice guy. Uh, yeah, Buddy of ours. A great sickle cell doctor in, in Carolina now. Big names on that, though. For sure. Um, we have some people from Johns Hopkins University. Lanscron. Yeah. And have uh, some people who, who work on this kind of research as well. So this study really wanted to look at maybe why there are, we talked earlier about disparities, why there are some of these disparities. Are we funding research in an equitable way. And so they looked at a number of different uh, components of that over a 10-year period. So they looked between January of 2008 and December of 2018. So 10 years. 10 years. And they looked at, um, it's actually 11 years because they started in the beginning oh, of yeah. 2008 and they included all of 2018. So, sure. But uh, over that time period, they, they looked at federal funding. So this is a lot of like NIH funding for research. Um, and they might be funding studies on mice to learn about the disease, or they might be funding clinical trials or um, any, any sort of research in that disease, including sometimes what are really important career development grants where you have a, a young person who's in that field and is is getting up to speed in their career. And they have a mentor who's maybe helping train them in research. And this is the pipeline for future research. So, sure. Yeah. Important. Um, really important. And then they looked also at foundation funding. And, and this is where I'll, I think a lot of this uh, disparity came about. Um, and I'll get into more detail on that. So foundations are a lot of times national organizations, like we have the SCDAA yep. or you have foundation Ash. that foundation. raise, raise yeah, money for sure. disease sometimes treatment, sometimes support groups. But in this case, they just looked at their funding of research. And then they looked at publications. So um, we have a website that we use a lot called PubMed. And it's really just a, a big database of all the articles published. Right. So if you type in sickle cell, it'll give you every article that has sickle cell as a keyword or a title. Um, and it's, you know, thousands and thousands of articles. So they compared how many articles were published on cystic fibrosis or sickle cell over that time period. And then they looked at how many clinical trials there were. So now when you do a clinical trial and you're testing a new medicine or a new test or a new um, device, you, you have to register it on, you have to register your clinical trial on a website called clinicaltrials.gov. And so they, they looked at clinicaltrials.gov to see how many trials there were, and then they looked at how many drugs were approved by the FDA. Can we sidebar on clinicaltrials.gov for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. You're telling me that the government has a website that documents clinical trials that are happening around the country. Yeah, it's, it's a nice website. I, I think it, it serves a couple of really important purposes. So one problem you always have is if people do a study and it's not recorded anywhere and it doesn't go well, they might not ever get it published you might not know about it, and then people will repeat the same mistakes. Or sometimes people will do a study and they'll say, I'm going to look at X. And X doesn't turn out, but something strange happens, and Y turns out to be different than they thought. And then all of a sudden they publish a paper and they say, we found Y. And that's different. That, that could just for. be you know, a, a random occurrence because that's not what they were looking for. And so it's really important that you say ahead of time what you're looking for and test that. A little bit of accountability. Yeah. But also, you're saying that our warriors could go to clinicaltrials.gov. Yeah. So that's the second important thing is it's a clearinghouse where you can see what studies are out there and you can see where they're being done, what the protocol is, what the question is. 
they have contact information for the site. So if you're interested in participating in a clinical trial, like say you're interested in gene therapy, you could go to clinicaltrials.gov and see what gene therapy studies are open in sickle cell, where they're being done, what you know, who the sponsor is, all of those kind of things, and, and look for a study if, if you want to be part of one. And also, if somebody comes to you and says, I want to treat you with Evenflow, CMOS, Lavender, you could look on clinicaltrials.gov and see if there's something that's rigorously being followed or pursued, right? I think that will probably not be that fruitful, but you could definitely look. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and also PubMed. You could go to PubMed and see if they've published the results of, of these studies. All public. All, all, yep, all in the public domain. And okay. really, like, if you have a treatment that works, you should have data behind it. You should have studies. You should be able to point to that. And these should be in things like clinicaltrials.gov and peer-reviewed journals. Well, sorry to sidetrack you, man. Oh, it's a good point. Um, So so they looked at all of these different databases and they compared results for cystic fibrosis and sickle cell disease. So the reason that they picked those two is in a lot of ways they're similar. So cystic fibrosis um, is a disease that's caused by a, a genetic mutation. It's inherited, and it's inherited in a similar way to sickle cell disease. You have to get one gene from each parent. It's called autosomal recessive, and it's a severe disease. It re- results in a substantial reduction in lifespan, and it has intermittent exacerbations. So people with cystic fibrosis often get infections in their lungs, and they may wind up in the hospital for an extended period of time for that and need antibiotics. So as we've discussed, sickle cell um, affects mostly African-American people, Hispanic people, people from the Middle East. Cystic fibrosis affects mostly Caucasian people, mm-hmm. although it can affect any race. It's much more common in, in Caucasian people. And in the United States, there are about 90,000 um, or so people with sickle cell disease and about 30,000 people Um, living with cystic fibrosis. And we've known about uh, sickle cell disease since 1910 when uh, Dr. Herrick reported the first cases. Cystic fibrosis is a little bit newer. Um, It was first discovered in 1938. And we've known that the molecular problem in sickle cell was a mutation in hemoglobin going back to the late 40s, early 50s with Linus Pauling. The molecular mechanism for CF is much newer. Um, the gene for it was discovered in 1989, actually by Francis Collins and his group right. at University of Michigan. Um, and that actually laid some of the foundation for the Human Genome Project. So they went through um, databases on um, NIH funding, on career development awards from the NIH. They also got the tax form. So any nonprofit organization like a foundation has to submit files there. a 990 tax form that tells you what they spend their money on. And so they looked at that and they, look, they, they just looked at organizations that spent more than $500,000 in a year. And there were 11 in sickle cell. And I thought this was really interesting. There were two CF organizations. I think that might speak to something. Yeah. Because I, I think, you know, CF is a really organized group of uh, foundations of advocates of fundraisers and they're very effective. So I I think one thing that these foundations did was invest in drug development and get some of the intellectual property from that, made money off of it, and then invested that back into cystic fibrosis uh, research and and support. So they looked at those tax forms and and monitored the the foundation expenditures. And then they, they went on PubMed and looked at how many articles were published. And they looked at FDA to see how many uh, drugs actually were approved in clinicaltrials.gov to, to see how many clinical trials they were. Sure. And then they, they reported those just as numbers, but they also broke it down by the population because you would think if there's a disease that affects 90,000 people and it's just as severe as a disease that affects 30,000 people, you would want to see probably about three times as much funding for that. I think in some ways that's maybe not completely fair because you know if you took diabetes, there's a ton of ton of people with diabetes and if you broke down the per person spending on research it might not look like that much but there's a lot of focus going into that but I I think it's a pretty good way to compare it when they did this they said the mean lifespan of people with sickle cell is 58 and for cystic fibrosis it was about 46 in 2015 540 people died of cystic fibrosis and 900 died of sickle cell disease 
and they estimated that the lifetime costs of sickle cell were about $460,000. And I think these are just medical costs. I think if you include a lot of other costs, it could be a lot higher. And the cost of CF was 306000 So really, in a lot of ways, very similar there. Then they went into NIH funding. And this was also, I think, pretty similar. There was a little bit of variability year to year, but it was $84 million versus $76 million. A little bit more spending on CF. But again, there's only about a third as many people. So when they broke it down to dollars per person yeah. affected by the disease, it's $812 for sickle cell, $2,800 for CF. So oh boy like more than threefold more being spent by the government. But that wasn't anywhere near the difference that there was in the foundations. Yeah. So the average amount of money that sickle cell foundations spent on research per year was about $9 million. And that was compared to about $231 million for cystic fibrosis. So if you break that down on a per patient basis, it's $100 for sickle cell versus $7,700 wow. for CF. And I, I think this is really important. And I think this is important because a, a lot of times when people are going to become researchers in a field and they're starting out, the first place that they go for money are foundations that are specific to the disease. And getting that funding early in your career gives you the time to work on the research, build up your skills, become more successful, go to NIH for funding. So I think when you have these very successful foundations and they're providing a lot of seed money, what you're doing is you're bringing in a lot of young researchers who are going to focus on that disease. They're going to treat those patients yeah. as well. And so that right there, I think, is a big driver of the disparity we see here. Then they looked at you know what, what effect did this have on papers? So per year, there were about 926 papers on sickle cell disease. There were almost 1,600 on cystic fibrosis. And again, sickle cell disease is much more common. Clinical trials were about the same. There were 24 in sickle cell disease, 27 in, in cystic fibrosis. But drug approvals, there were four in cystic fibrosis and only one in sickle cell. And so this was just a little bit before right. we got our most recent uh, so sickle would, cell drugs. That would be Andari, that one that they're referring right, to. Right, because this went up through 2018. Right. In 2019, we got two more sickle cell drugs. But I think there were also several more CF drugs in, in the meantime. And novel indications for drugs. So there were some drugs that were approved for something else that CF figured out they could use. And they had 11 of those compared to just two in sickle cell. So there was a, a really a big discrepancy in both the spending going into sickle cell versus cystic fibrosis and the research coming out in terms of new drugs, in terms of papers. I think we don't want less funding for cystic fibrosis. We want more funding for sickle cell. We want yeah. sickle cell to be, we want to close that disparity by making sickle cell better. And they also looked at improvement in survival. And here is, you know, a silver lining. Both diseases had really a very dramatic improvement of survival over a period of about 50 years. Both of them uh, in 1960, the median life expectancy was 10 years old. Now it's, you know, in the 40s and 50s. We've got a long way to go, but those are significant improvements. The one thing where I felt like there was another big disparity, though, is when I look at the graph in figure two of this paper, the cystic fibrosis graph has like bumps from year to year and the sickle cell graph is very smooth. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is there are a lot of studies going on measuring the life expectancy and mortality in cystic fibrosis. And I feel like we don't have that very yeah. well. I mean, we don't even have a great grasp on how many people have sickle right. cell in the U S um, so I think there's another disparity. I, I think the quality of the data is a little different. But I, I think this is a great paper because it, it did a, a great job looking at important things that demonstrate a pretty significant disparity yeah. in funding for what are two very similar diseases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think there are things we can learn from cystic fibrosis. We need strong organizations and probably not a lot of organizations, but a small number of really strong organizations. And those can lobby Congress. They can raise funds. I mean, Dr. Z has been talking for a long time about we need our ice bucket challenge. And uh, we, that doesn't we do. involve ice or water. 
Yeah, for sure. Or buckets. <laughs> I think that early funding can make a big difference. And also the advocacy at the at the government level can make a big difference. And I, I think really we got to keep talking about this. So yeah. all you warriors out there, post on social media about it. Talk to your Congress people about it. Help out your, your CBOs with uh, fundraising. Um, raise awareness. It's awareness month. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's hugely important in that, I mean, as long as you have a vote, you can have a voice, right? And, and, and we do have public officials that need to, they need to hear from us and they need to hear from all of us and they need to hear it frequently and often. And, and, you know, I always go back to something that, that, that Dr. Hines said to me, our, our buddy, Patrick, he said, if they don't let you in the front door, go through the back. And if they don't let you through the back door, go through the window. And if they don't let you through the window, blow the roof off. And that's kind of how I feel. So, so like we, we, we know what we need to do, right? We're in a situation where there's a massive disparity in attention and funding. And, and while we can't, you know, it's easy to be like, I'm never going to be able to fix this. I'm one person. But, but if all of us band together, there's a lot of power in numbers, and, and I think that we, we can make a difference. You have to try. You have to try. You have to try. I think we have to make sure that we get, get to the table and have those conversations. But, uh, Dr. Mike, thank you so much for, for sharing this uh, perspective with us. We uh, love hearing from you and love getting updated on new research that our colleagues are doing. Thanks, Dr. Z. All right. Whew, Dr. Mike, that was a hell of an episode, man. I liked it. We had a great guest. I, I was really excited to have Shamanica Wiggins on. I, uh, I'm telling you this, between uh, Shamanica and what the consortium is doing and, and, and sort of this talking about advocacy and the power of advocates and addressing health disparities, man, we covered a lot today. I feel inspired. I'm feeling good. How are you feeling? I feel good. It's... Uh advocacy month for sickle cell let's all go out there and do it yeah let's get into some good trouble sounds good all right warriors keep living well with sickle cell follow me at dr z sickle cell and me at imagineer we'll catch you next time see you on the next episode peace <laughs>